Welcome to episode 40 of the Librarian's Guide to Teaching podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jessica. On today's episode, we are doing a roundup of unique, versatile, and effective assessments that we've recently read about that can be applied in an information literacy classroom. But before we get started, how are you doing? Anything exciting happening this week? Well, coming up soon. Um, so we are fully vaccinated in my house, other than my four-year-old, obviously. Um, so we've had some fun things to look forward to and things that have felt more comfortable, which has been great. Um, my husband and I were able to have a great anniversary dinner, um, you know, obviously still outdoors and still with masks on to respect other people, but it just felt so much more comfortable now right? Knowing that we have that little bit of protection. Um, and more exciting, we're having a house guest next week. So one of my in-laws is coming from out of state and um, it'll be the first time in like two years. So we're really excited. Um, I also have in-person lunches planned with two friends I haven't seen in over a year. And we're planning a road trip to my husband's home state for some time over the summer. So his family can meet the new little one. So we have so many things to look forward to. Um, which is really great for my mental health right now, <laughs> for all of our mental health right now. Uh, so what about you? Well, first, that sounds so exciting. That does sound like a lot of things to look forward to. Um, I got my second shot. And so like, I'm fully vaccinated. I, I'm still in the process of the two week period. Right. But I got my second shot and I did, I handled it well. Like I got the chills and very like body sore and then a little bit of nausea, but that was it. And I was grateful for that because I got the shot and then I started my new job the next day. So the night before I was like, oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to start this job. I'm not gonna be able to make it. Like I was like, kind of like worried about that, but like, I just, I rallied and I did it. So I was lucky for that. So that's like the thing that's been going on with me with my new job. Um, you know, the last time we recorded, I was in that two week process of, you know, I gave my notice. And so now I'm like a week and a half into my new job and it's going good so far. It's so different and so new and exciting. And um, I really, I love it so far. And I haven't gotten into like the like, librarianship part of it yet it's very like people oriented but that's okay because like that's my thing as well like I really like people management and people development so it's just been so interesting um coming into um a library where these people have worked there for so long um and like they're a family and it's interesting having a new person in um but they've been really great and very welcoming and it's it's exciting. I'm so like, I'm still like learning and reading so much, but um, it's, it's, we're off to a great start. So I really can't wait to share more updates when I have some more concrete things to share. That's so exciting. There is so much I'm sure to learn, especially coming from academics to public and, and then the people to, to meet and get to know. So that's so exciting. I can't wait to hear more. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. I told them like, all like I was just trying to tell them a little bit about like what I did previously and they were like my god you did a like four <laughs> many hats in an academic librarianship and I was like yep you know because in the public and at least in this public library it's very like this is circ circ only does circ stuff reference only does reference and 
So it's very departmental, which is not what I'm used to. You know, we were always, you wear many hats in your academic library and that's just how it is. All right, well, let's get started on our topic. So um, as we mentioned, we are talking about um, different assessment methods. So first, we just wanted to do a quick throwback to some episodes where we've talked about assessment before. So episode two, uh, we talked about project outcome and assessing instruction with uh, Kara Berg. In episode seven, we talked about critical digital pedagogy. Um, and then in episode 25, we talked more specifically about formative assessment with um, librarian Mary Michelle Moore. So you can always hop back to those um, after this one to learn a little bit more about uh, assessment projects. And then also we wanted to kind of talk about a definition of assessment because a lot of people um, might define it different ways. So this is a quote from the open access book uh, called Instruction in Libraries and Information Centers by Melissa Wong and Laura Saunders. So they write, quote, the words assessment and evaluation are often used interchangeably. Although they're related, the terms do not mean the it mean exactly the same thing. Assessment is a process of measuring progress toward learning outcomes with a focus on improved teaching and learning. Evaluation seeks to place a value on a service or a program, often as part of determining whether to continue that service or program or how to best allocate um, programs and services. So, you know, we're talking about assessment today, um, which, as they mentioned, is about measuring towards learning outcomes. So um, before we chat about some of the projects that we've read about in other libraries, we thought we'd do a quick review of some of our most effective assessments. So um, why don't you get us started? Sure. So I have a range that I've done. Um, so at its simplest form, um, I used to do, and this is like super common, and I know people have heard of it before, but it really was always successful um, engaging if a learning outcome was met. Um, the muddiest point, it's when you ask the students what they're still unsure about at the end of your lesson. Um, I think uh, Mary Michelle Moore talked about it um, in her formative assessment episode, but it really is an effective tool to kind of gauge the students uh, because they're saying it in their own words. So you kind of get a sense of what, what like, like I said, what's not clear to them. Um, so that's one, that's like the simplest thing. Um, LibWizard, um, I love, I'm a big fan of LibWizard um, tutorials and the LibWizard um, surveys and forms. I think they were, they gave me a great opportunity um, to assess um, in a methodical way. Uh, so I really, I really um, enjoyed using those. Um, so for example, like I created two, I collaborated with other librarians to create two uh, modules for our marketing, our, our management and our legal studies, um, um, information literacy modules. And, you know, embedded through it, we asked specific questions, like we did like a little demo video, and then they had to go and do something or answer a question. And it was very versatile. I really liked the variety um, of the, the ways we were able to kind of like parse out um, what was retained. Um, another one that I did that I did for a really long time until I just for some reason just stopped getting invited to that class um, was a research log. And I loved this activity. So basically, long story short, is the students had to use a range of sources 
to talk about, it was for a, a global class. It was called Global Social Change. And they had to pick a social issue that they wanted to tackle. And they needed to use a real range of sources. And it was like a, a 4,000 level course. And it was really like they had to do a lot of research. And the research log helped them with the progress, the, it helped teach them how to progress in their research, how to keep their research moving forward. So I used to do this activity with them where I showed them how to like take one source and then gather the information uh, and then move and use that information to find another source. Like try to, like I said, keeping the momentum of moving their research forward um, and reflecting on the sources that they find because what I found in supporting the students in that class is that they kept looking at the same types of sources over and over again. So the way I kind of set up the log was, is I would say like, okay, what's the name of the source? What type of source is it? Book, article, you know, um, encyclopedia, streaming, whatever. What keywords did you use to find it? Um, what it? What is it, you know? And then how is it helpful? So it's almost like a really quick, like one to two sentence annotation on what it is. And then like reflection on um, how they could, how, what they think is valuable. And then I would always have them like fill out three or four lines um, in the log during the class session, just so they can get a sense of how to use it. And it was always so effective. So like I kept the copy and they kept the copy. And I was really able to see how the students, you know, it, what they retained, because my goal was really to get them on board with using a research log. So that was like an exciting one that I did. And then the, the biggest one that I did, the, the, the most, most complex one assessment um, that, I, that I was involved with was an annotated bibliography rubric for our honors program. So this one, it was a lot of work. Um, we developed the rubric together with the writing, with writing center, the faculty, uh, all the librarians and, that were involved in honors. And it was complex because we, so we would do a norming session where we would all grade together, right? To, get, to kind of get on the same page. And there were points where we felt like this rubric isn't working for us because the students are getting more points in one section and the other section, they're getting less points. And, then their total seemed too low or too high. So like we were constantly tweaking it to make sure it was effective. Um, and then we finally got it to a point where we, we ended up doing half points to get it into like, okay, this column really means if you get in this column, mostly it's an A. If you mostly get in this column, it's a B and you know, so on and so on and so forth. But it got to the point where it really was effective because it because like you know rubrics are great but sometimes they can be subjective um so it was it was a great tool though because it was very like you could measure all the students against each other and like we did that so like we had um a mini annotated bibliography of 10 sources and then we had a, a 25 source annotated bibliography and they there were similar rubrics and we were able to see if students improved from the mini to the 25, and we would say, okay, the average was this, and then the average from the 25 was that, there was an increase in, in improvement um, from one assignment to the next. So it was like multifaceted um, kind of assessment layers. 
Yeah, I kind of missed that annotated bibliography assignment. It was a lot of work, but <laughs> it was rewarding to talk to them about and to look at and, and see that progression. Yeah, yeah. So what about you? Um, so I have two. Um, I definitely also like LibWizard tutorials um, and forms too, but um, especially in this environment right now where students are getting very weary from Zoom sessions, um, these tutorials kind of allow them the autonomy to do it on their own time. Um, I can ask both closed and open reflective questions and provide students with multiple ways to learn like videos, reading, images, activities. Um, so the most effective ones that I've done have been for our standardized assignments like English literature review um, assignments or uh, researching for a specific topic. Um, and we're working again on this one for SIFT, but we're, we need students to review it to kind of give us their feedback first. So that's, that, that will be coming in the future. Probably not until after I'm back from maternity leave will I be able to report on that one. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is kind of comparing pre and post questions and answers. So like at the beginning of a tutorial and then at the end asking them, you know, what do you feel confident about? What questions do you have? And then what question afterwards, what questions do you still have? And what are two things that you learned today that you might apply to a different context? So um, it really allows me to let them reflect on what they've learned, but then compare their responses to my learning outcomes. So did they really find what was presented valuable? Um, and was what they found valuable related to my learning outcomes. So those would be the two that that I would highlight from my work. Yeah, just to kind of follow up on what you were talking about, the pre and post. One thing that I did once in a discussion board, um, because I supported it all week long, um, I did like growth mindset type questions. Um, where I had the students identify parts of their research uh, skill set that they felt they were not as confident in. And then, but I was specific about it in a sense of um, I wanted to make sure it was things that I knew would, that would be covered um, in my tutorial and then in our discussions throughout the week. Um, and the post was always so great. Like the post comments were like, yes. I, I definitely felt like I grew and I definitely felt a little more confident. And it was, I think, it, you know, I think these open-ended questions, you know, if we talked about from previous episodes are the best, it just takes a lot of time to kind of go through them, but they really are the best way to measure uh, success in learning outcomes. Right, exactly. So as I mentioned, uh, we're going to just kind of go quickly through um, some different activities and um, assessments, and we're going to link to all of them in the show notes, and we'll give some of our um, feedback on the ideas and whether or not we've used them. So to get us started, um, there's two great examples of using Google Forms for searching activities and full tutorials from um, Danielle Applebaum and Mer uh, Meredith Farkas. Um, so what I really learned from Danielle's forms was how to use the Google logic to customize the assessments based on student answers. Mm. Uh, you know, one thing I use is, uh, one thing I struggle with with LibWizard forms is when students are in different stages of research. So in Danielle's presentation, um, you can use logic to provide different content to students who need the help narrowing the topic versus um, students who are ready to jump into searching. So rather than just creating a searching form where you say like, what's your topic? What source did you find? Using the logic really helps you target um, what they need. Um, and then Meredith Farkas 
talks about how easy it is to share Google Forms with faculty or other librarians who want to make copies of them. And whether it's just a form or like a full multi-page tutorial, um, you can allow people to copy and, and use them. So those are two options there. Hmm. I know that um, I know that LibWizard has this feature, something I, I've never tried it, but it was something like post results to a public link. So I don't, I never explored it, but I think that was to give faculty the opportunity to have access um, publicly. I don't know. I, hmm, I, that's I, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I never played with it. And I know that one of the, one of the, I don't know if it's a form or survey for LibWizard does have logic, but I don't know how advanced it is. I'm really not sure. Uh, but I know there is like maybe some simple logic built in there somewhere. Yeah, I think they do have some basic simple logic. Um, and I haven't played around with it too much. It just seems so much easier in when Danielle <laughs> presents it. Um, so definitely take a look. And if you already use the logic in LibWizard, um, you know, please tweet us and compare the two for us. We'd love to, to know about that. Yes. Um, so for our next one, I recently saw this presentation on the ACRL distance learning online poster sessions about using Jamboards. Um, we had talked about Jamboards in our tech tools episode, and one of my issues was keeping the responses organized. Um, and this presentation shows a few ways and has even templates to organize them and a few topics to focus on. So you're still getting anonymous responses from students unless you request that they like use their initials. Um, and you're assessing kind of the old, this class's overall meeting of your outcomes and the board helps you direct the class based on their responses. Um, and as the presentation notes, it can really be helpful to have more students respond than they might verbally. So there are those benefits to it. And I really liked the way that they organized responses into columns. It's almost like they made a Padlet in a way. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I used to do that. Um just to kind of get a feeler for where the students were at before starting a lesson. Um, I would just, I mean, this was like, I'm talking about 2009, 2010. So um, I used eye clickers, but like the concept is the same where you would ask the students, you know, to respond anonymously and you would kind of get a group response. And then that group response is what um, led you to decide what to teach next or what was retained and what still needs to get worked on, um, you know, maybe like re revisited with them. So I think that's always great when you have that opportunity to, um, to, to be, you know, to kind of follow up with the students. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's definitely another way um, to use them as well. Uh, so going back to Melissa Wong and Laura Saunders' open access book, they talk about some um, assessments that could be used for credit bearing courses uh, or even for one shots for some of these. Uh, they talk about uh, short writing exercises. So um, they talk about asking students, explain an idea to me as if I were five years old, right? Because according to them, quote, translating a new idea into their own words demonstrates a different level of understanding than simply reiterating a definition and then also suggests an ability to transfer that learning to new contexts, um, end quote. And then similarly, they talk about um, 
asking students to put something they learned into a one sentence summary or summarize how they would apply that learning in another context. So that's something that could be done like every day in a credit bearing course or every class right in a credit bearing course. Um, and then it'd be great to see the progression of those or even in a one shot if you're only in there for for that you know 45 to 90 minutes or something like that. Mm, I, I um, I love that idea. I think right? both these ideas are so unique and so simple to administer. I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think librarians are so afraid of assessment and they think that it's like, it has to be so complicated. And, uh, you know, there you have to be sure that your your assessment is aligned with what you, you're teaching because it's not fair to assess someone on something you haven't taught them. Um, but I think it can be as simple as this, as simple as asking them to explain a topic to you that you've taught them. So that's, I think, and I think that's fun for, for, for students. I think it's something that they're probably not asked to do very often. Right, exactly. And I know I've definitely in the beginning fell into that trap of like, oh, my assessment has to be like an entire worksheet and have a rubric and like all of that stuff. And as you just said, it really doesn't have to. It really could just be like getting them to reflect on what we all just talked about <laughs> and it, it comparing it to their experience and then maybe bringing it to a new context. So it's definitely true. It doesn't have to be that complex. I think it gets, it, it gets complicated when you're trying to quantify the qualitative responses that you receive. So like I used to do a lot of open-ended stuff. And then if I wanted to assess the group um, and give some type of summative, like I ended up creating like a very simple rubric, like um, less than half of the students were able to articulate this skill. Less than half the students were able to, um, you know, get this question correct or something. So like it did get complicated in trying to sum up everything uh, because you wanted to be, you know, you wanted to have some type of record of how the, the, they all did together. So, you know, it, that I think that scares people. I think people are like, well, what do I do with all these responses? They're individual responses. It's not a quiz. It's not easy. You know, um, how do I how do I. Uh, describe this and make sense of all of this information I collected. Cause like, you know, you don't want to fall into the trap of um, you just collect all of this assessment data and then not do anything with it, you know? Right. Exactly. And that's definitely something that I do after each class is just that informal, like, you know, less than this or more than that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, even if I have a, a more structured assessment, I still kind of apply that as a reflective idea. Um, maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So another one for a credit bearing course, um, is just another example of what you talked about, which is the research log. Um, so UCLA has a tutorial, um, on their website. It's a student facing tutorial that kind of walks them through the process of documenting the research, their research. Um, so we'll include this one in the show notes because it is kind of a great, um, option as well for a, a kind of the, a pedagogical assignment on a wiki or something where they kind of share parts of their process as well as you go through the semester. Uh, I think yours is a great option for a one shot or even like a two to three shot, right? Where you kind of let them um, 
go through the process and then you assess each part. But this is a, this is one for like a full credit bearing course, which is kind of cool. Mm. Um, and then lastly, we've got two shout outs to quick shout outs because we've mentioned them before. Mm. Um, but the critical pedagogy handbook lesson plan, it's the second volume, because there's a lot of ideas in there that really demonstrate discussion based classroom sessions and related assessments, um, especially for librarians who want to incorporate more critical librarianship, but maybe struggle with like the activity assessment aspect of it. Um, because obviously, you know, based on the, the definition and ideas behind crit lib is it's not necessarily very quantitative, it's more qualitative. So how do you do that? So I like that, um, that volume. And then a shout out to our algorithm lesson plan collaborative document from our recent newsletter, which you should sign up for if you haven't, <laughs> um, because it includes some assessments on this topic, um, including the ones from our last guest on algorithms, Carolyn Gardner, um, and then a few other ones that we found and that people have put in. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, now is the point in the show where we share a recommendation a triumph or a fail. Uh, what do you have for us this week? So we've talked a bit recently about current issues with professional development costs and specifically ACRL 2021. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought I would share a document that I saw recently in um, an ALA forum um, in case you didn't see this go around. Um, librarians Jessica Day, I hope I said her name right, and um, Katie Quirin Manwiller, who we had on our accessibility episode, uh, organized an ACRL 2021 conference publicly available presentation links document. So it's a list of links by presenters who feel that their work should be publicly available. So this is the intro to the document. It says, quote, some of the presenters at ACRL's 2021 conference opted to make their presentations publicly available given how cost prohibitive the conference was for so many library workers. This action is in alignment with the conference's theme, ascending into an open future, end quote. So I thought that was such a cool idea. And obviously not everything is there. These are the presenters who are choosing to put their work there. Um, so we will put that in the show notes. What about you? Um, I think I retweeted that from our library account, but we will, oh, perfect. Put, but we will put it in the show notes just in case I, it, sometimes, you know, personal, professional, they get it. <laughs> right. Things get lost uh, in Twitter. Yeah. Um, I have a triumph. Um, so as you know, I'm in my new job and my triumph is, is that I am not overwhelming this, these, my new colleagues. I am holding myself back. I have so many ideas and so many things I want to do. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> so excited. But this past week and a half has been really about listening. And like, I'm just so shocked at the restraint I've been able to, 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 to do. Like, I just, I can't, like, I, I, I found myself stopping myself several times during my like one-on-one -on -one meetings, but I'm just so proud of myself because like, I'm enthusiastic. Like, this is great, but like, it's not, it's not the right time. And I think they're appreciating the fact that I'm like just listening right now. But like so the <laughs> triumph is, is I know it could be hard sometimes, but holding back is really, I think, benefiting my opportunity to learn more about them and be thoughtful when it's the time is right to start to kind of like overwhelm them with my ideas. 
No, it's so easy. Like if you're inspired and you want to make positive changes and you can see all the opportunities to just want to go in and like do all the things, but it's so good. Like you said, that you are, you're tapping into your restraint and just keeping the inspiration for later after, after all the listening. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an art form, like just being a good listener. Um, I really, maybe I can find it, but I feel like I listened to a podcast episode probably in the last six months that talked about the art of being a good listener and how that affects the workplace in a positive way. If I can find which podcast that was, I will link to it in the show notes. I think it's, um, I can't think of the name of the podcast, but I, I'm going to try to find it. But okay, cool. um, yeah, so it's definitely an art form and uh, I'm happy I'm able to kind of, you know, work through that. <laughs> Yay. Looking forward to more triumphs in the future. Yay. <laughs> So that wraps up another episode of the Librarian's Guide to Teaching. Uh, here's where you can find us. You can find the podcast at librarian underscore guide. You can find Jessica at librarygeek611. You can find me, Amanda, at historybuff820. And you can always email us at infolitteachingpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We would love to hear from you in the reviews as well.